just honestly was blown away by just what this church was able to do this summer. Um, we got to send a team to New York. We sent a team to Ecuador. And this past week, we went to youth camp. And we didn't go to a normal youth camp where you get on the banana boats and they try to throw you into the water as fast as possible. And uh, we didn't do the rickety zip line that you're really sitting there looking at that thing going, should that thing even be standing and why are kids climbing on it? Um, but we went and served at a, a Mission 58 camp. This is a this is a camp that instead of doing all that wreck stuff, you go out and you serve the local community. They held uh, one at East Texas Baptist University, but we went to Dallas Baptist University. Um, we got to go and serve in the inner city of Dallas. Um, I, we took 10 kids to youth camp and we went to Cornerstone Baptist Church and we served in their uh, homeless kitchen. And the kids absolutely loved it. We met their volunteer coordinator. His name was Donald and... Uh, he was just about the most enthusiastic volunteer, like worker I've ever seen at a kitchen. He'd walk in there and he'd make every kid feel like they were doing the most important work they could possibly do, be doing for God. And um, we cried together cutting onions. We uh, put together desserts and did all sorts of stuff, uh, preparing for meals um, for their homeless uh, kitchen during the day. And um, during the week, during when we weren't on mission, we were at. Um, the campus of Dallas Baptist being poured into by some awesome just worship bands and uh, a speaker by the name of Robert Nixon who just really poured into our students about what it means to live on mission. Um, So not only did we get to go to um, out of the country to Ecuador, out of the state to New York City, but we also just went down the road to the city of Dallas and we served on mission as well. This church has been um, just on fire for missions this summer, and I'm just excited to see how it continues um, going. My favorite moment in Ecuador, I do have to like share an Ecuador tr- moment because uh, Ken missed just a, one or two little things. Um, <laughs> um, and we, we got to paint a church throughout the week, and th- it was a three-story church. That first picture that you saw of us in Ecuador was us standing in front of the church, and this church is under construction. They've got the entire first floor complete um, that they just needed painting. Um, the second floor is where the sanctuary is actually going to be. And then they have a third floor that is going to kind of overlook the sanctuary for like overflow. And they're hoping that they have eventually 500 members of this church in Ecuador. And they are literally sitting on top of a hill, just waiting and ready for people um, and we were painting all week. We primed uh, for two days and we getting ready to come in there and paint. And we had an attack plan. Like the night before, we're like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this and we're going to do this. And we're going to get that sanctuary complete because they have a small room that they're going to use as their sanctuary. We walk in um, the next day ready to paint that room. Like we're walking in, like we're going to paint this room. We're going to get the sanctuary ready. And then we walk in there to find out that they had stayed up until like 11 at night painting. It woke up at 6 a.m. so they, they could get to the church and finish painting the sanctuary so that when we walked in, we would see that their sanctuary was done. Like they stayed up. That's how much the people in Ecuador love their church. I was so excited. We were so pumped that we're like, we're going to get the rest of this painted. And we started painting nonstop the rest of the time we were there. And we completed the entire first floor. We even started painting the outside of their church. That night they invited us back for a worship service um, because they wanted to worship with us in their new sanctuary. 
Um, I got to, um, I brought my guitar because I'm always prepared on this trip with a guitar. And they, uh, I, I went up to the third floor of the church just to look out because, I mean, it's night. Um, we're, it's in the mountains. It's absolutely beautiful. And just looking out, you just see seas of houses with the lights on. It's just this amazing sight. And uh, Casey comes yelling, running up the stairs, yelling at me like normal. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could have seen the face she gave me. Um, but she comes running up the stairs. They're like, she want, they want you to play guitar and lead worship. And I'm like, awesome. Someone with data needs to find the chords to God of this city. Because that's the song I want to play right now. So we, we just began singing together with them. And I know like one full song in like broken Spanish and I know like two songs that I know the chorus of. Um, So most of it was in English, but they just worshiped right along with us. And it was such an amazing experience for me just being able to stand in front of uh, just a group of people that don't speak the same language as me and I don't speak the same language as them. But in that moment, we are worshiping one God together. And um, this morning, I just have a... um, just one word kept popping into my mind throughout the time that Chad asked me to speak. Um, we were sitting in marriage counseling a few, uh, about a month ago with Chad and uh, getting ready. And he's like, I want to find the time for you to speak. And I'm like, okay. Like, yeah, like I'm thinking like October, November, the wedding's coming up August 5th. So I'm like, I go to Ecuador, I go to youth camp. I have like two weeks and then wedding. So summer's been kind of crazy. Um, and Chad goes, okay, how about August 6th? And Casey said no um, to August 6th. Um, <laughs> so we settled on Mission Sunday. Um, we settled on today. And uh, in the midst of all the craziness, God has placed just this word of revival on my heart. And um, so this morning, we're going to be looking at that. Um, my, pay, my notebook's falling apart. So here we go. But like when we hear revival, like in the church, we're like, revival is good. Like I want revival. And we all kind of like, yeah, revival, let's go. But then we're, there's a couple of things that happen is either we really don't understand what it means to have revival or we're not do, willing to do the things that lead to revival in the church. Sometimes we're like, yeah, you go do it. I'll join in once you get it started. But the main point this morning is revival must start with me. Can you just say that with me real quick? Revival must start with me. And that is such a true statement. Because if you don't have revival in your own life, if you don't have that Holy Spirit burning in you, wanting you to go out and do the work of God, you, you can't go out and start a work of God in other people's lives if you don't have it yourself. If you don't have it yourself, you can't join in on what God's doing because you don't know what God's doing because you're not listening and able to hear the voice of God. You have to have revival starting with you. So I've got three points this morning that I'll try to go through. Um, My students always hate when I say this really quickly um, because really quickly never means quickly. Um, So I'll try my best. The first thing we need to have is a big view of God, a big view of who God is. If you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 6. This is a passage in the Bible that gets read quite a lot. Um, 
And we tend to focus on the last verse that I'm going to read, verse 8. When I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That's a verse we love to focus on. Because it's Isaiah is getting, I mean, Isaiah is like pumped up and he's, God's like, who am I going to send? He's like, ooh, send me, send me. He doesn't even know what he's going to be sent to do yet, but he's like so on fire for it. And he's like, send me, send me. But what happens before that is why he's so excited. Um, So I'm going to start reading. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. Two covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, uh, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I, lived, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. One of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. And that leads into him saying, Here am I, send me. What happened first and foremost, before the, the response to the call, before God called him to do anything, before sins were forgiven, he saw God in his majesty and grandness. If that's a word. Grandness. Um, so he, he saw God. He had this big view of God. That's how it all started for Isaiah. If you, uh, just going back to verse one, it says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Like filled the temple. That's like saying like the hem of my pants filled the room. God's gonna be very big if the train of his robe is filling a temple. And, and then the seraphims are flying around. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. They're not saying like, you know, this place is full of his glory. Ecuador is full of his glory. New York. No, it's saying the whole earth is full of his glory. It's a big God. And at the sound of their voices in verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Man, he's going, these these creatures are calling out to God and they're not doing it with just like this quiet, like, yay, God, go God. They're like screaming at the top of their lungs as loudly as they can proclaim to the point. It's like, they're not, it's not saying like the, like, you know, the, the ceiling was shaking or the ceiling fan shaking back and forth. It's saying like the foundation of the temple was shaking at its core because of how loud they were worshiping God. There was a big view of God that Isaiah saw. Um, My big view of God, um, it happened while I was at youth camp. I had accepted Christ at a young age and, um, and I understood all that, that, you know, I understood the salvation story and I believed the salvation story. And I, I wanted to do good and, and be a good kid. And then I got to youth camp. I was 17 and I, I just had one of those moments with God. I was sitting on a, uh, it was outside staircase at a, uh, just off a cabin of one of the cabins in Gloria, New Mexico or in the mountains. It's absolutely beautiful there. 
And I'm sitting there, and I just had an honest conversation with God. And I'm like, it's the first time I probably just like was like overwhelmed with just how big God was in my life. Um, Before I went to that camp, I was my parents' retirement plan. I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, And I came home, and it took a couple of months, and I was like, I think I'm called to ministry. And my parents were like, are you sure about that? Like, retirement plan just went out the window. Uh, (laughs) My dad's over here like, what are you talking about? Um, But um, God radically changed my life in that moment. And he did the same thing with Isaiah here. So our, the first thing with revival starts with a big view of who God is. The next thing is um, it starts with an active pursuit of God, um, an active pursuit of God. I was listening to a message uh, um, by Ben Stewart. He's, a, he's now preaching in Washington, D.C., um, but he was leading the college ministry at um, Texas A&M called Breakaway. And he was speaking one time, And he said, um, we need three things in our walk with God. The first thing is consistency. We need to find a time and a place consistently to talk to God. He said that when he was in um, college, he signed up for a church prayer time. They were doing, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week prayer. So he signed up from like 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. He's going to pray for his church. And he's like, I feared my church enough that I knew I was going to do it. He said, the first night I got down by my bed and I began praying. He goes, I prayed for my friends. I prayed for the church. I prayed for the the entire globe. And he goes, I opened my eyes, looked at the clock, and it had been like five minutes. And he goes, I fell asleep. He said, the next week he tried praying. He said he heard something spiritual about praying in your closet. So he's like, I got in my closet to pray, and there was a bunch of clothes in there. It was nice and warm, and I fell asleep then too, um, even quicker. So he said that the way that he had to go out and just have time with God is he just began walking the neighborhood. And so that he wouldn't have those like just half-thought sentences to God uh, in his head, he started talking out loud. So if you wanted to find this preacher walk any time on a Sunday night, you would find him walking around his neighborhood talking out loud like a crazy person. But that's how he came to really just fall in love with God and spend time with God, is he found a consistent time and a consistent place to have communion with God. He had to have that. The next thing is creatively. You need it to come to him creatively. Um, being engaged and going through the whole dating process in a few weeks, being married, um, you communicate nonstop nowadays. <laughs> nonstop nowadays. Um, you know, if you get off the phone, you're like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. And finally someone hangs up and then, um, you start sending texts immediately. If texts don't work, you send like emails. Um, some of you probably in the back, back in the day were probably sending like pager messages to each other. Um, some of you were probably sending just smoke signals to each other, um, trying to communicate with each other. Like you were constant, you were coming up with creative ways to try to communicate with someone you love. And that's what we need to do with God is come up with creative ways to communicate with him and to be with him. That's why I love music. Now, the quote up there is from uh, theologian Martin, uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, um, different guy. Um, but Martin Luther, he said of music, by it, all emotions are swayed. He, loves, he said, I love listening to music because it, it stirs my affections for God. We need to find ways to come to God creatively. And the last thing is we need community. 
We need a community of believers to pour into us. Because there are going to be some days where we are beaten and broken down. I know that on the trip to Ecuador, there was a time where just about every one of us was just exhausted. There was a time where we were just like, I just want to go lay down and I don't want to do anything for three days. I know I got to that point one night. I skipped dinner. I'm laying down in the bed and I have like seven people come to me like, they have fried chicken and french fries. And I'm like, go away. And that's why they knew I, was, I just need to be alone because I'm like, fried chicken and french fries is where it's at. And... Um, But we all have a time that we just get beaten down. But we need a community of believers to come alongside of us. And when we start breaking down, they pick up the pieces and they put us back together and speak the word of God into us. So an active pursuit of God is something that we need for revival. We need to actively pursue him. We need consistency, creativity, and community in that active pursuit. The last thing we need... um, it's just compassion for people. And this is where some of us like, yeah, I love spending time with God. I can't stand people. People are the bane of my existence, right? Um, some of us get like that. We don't, but when we hear the word revival, revival is not for our own glory. Revival is so that the lost and broken of this world are healed as they bring glory to the Father. That is why we want revival, is we're bringing people to know Jesus who didn't know Jesus before. And revival isn't for our own glory. It's not like, hey, look, Justin saved five people today. No, it's there's five more people worshiping God with me today. And that's what I'm excited about. That's why I want revival. And that's why we need to have compassion for people, because that is what we are called to do. Um, If you have your Bibles, um, go to Matthew chapter 14. This was a, a, I'm using a lot of the stuff that we, verses that we went over at camp as they were teaching us. Um, This is Jesus feeding in the 5,000. And right before Jesus feeds the 5,000, a um, tragic event happened in Jesus' life. His cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. And like most people, because he was fully God and fully man, Jesus, hearing this news, just wanted to get away. I don't know if you've ever been like that, where something happens in your life and you're like, I just need a moment to be with the Father. And Jesus is like, I need to go and talk to my Father. So in verse 13 of chapter 14, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, this is John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So Jesus is trying to get away. He's like, I just need to be alone right now. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from their towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus looks, he's trying to get away. He's trying to be by himself for a moment. And these people just like, oh, Jesus is going that way. I'm going to follow Jesus. And Jesus gets off the boat and he looks and he sees his people instead of doing probably what I would do or what you would do, you know, looking at these people going, come on, like I wanted to get away from you because that's what I'd do. <laughs> Jesus looks at them and goes, come here. And he just starts healing the sick and has compassion on the people there. I mean, he didn't just spend a little time with them. As evening approaches, the disciples said to him, this is a remote place. It's getting late. 
Send the crowds away that, so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples responded how I would in this situation. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, they didn't have enough to feed everybody. So they thought and they questioned. And he, he goes, bring them here to me. As he directed the people to sit down on the grass, he'd taken the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of men, or the number who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So there were 5,000 men and there were more women and children. So there's probably like 15 to 20,000 people like listening to Jesus and Jesus is walking around healing people and it gets to dinner and he doesn't sit there and just like his compassion ends there. He's like, I'm going to make sure these people are completely satisfied. And that's what we got to do on missions. That's something that we just got to completely do is we went and met physical needs of people. We went to two, uh, two different churches on the mission trips in New York in Ecuador, and we painted a church for the people. During that time, we're not going out and sharing the gospel with people, but we're meeting a physical need of that community so that that community can be impacted with the gospel later. And Jesus meets the needs of the people in this time, and he has compassion on them. And that's what God is calling us to do, is have compassion on people. We don't get to choose who gets compassion. We don't get to choose what time we give compassion because in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, he says, love your neighbor as yourselves. It doesn't say love your neighbor at 5 o'clock p.m. It doesn't say, you know, love your neighbor if it's convenient. Love your neighbor if it's a good neighbor. It says, love your neighbor. Love everybody at any time. And um, just to close out this morning, um, just flip over to Nehemiah real quick. I've been... Um, really diving into the book of Nehemiah. And on uh, Wednesday nights, the students were walking through the book of Nehemiah. Um, but Nehemiah is an amazing story. I love walking through the book of Nehemiah. I'm just going to um, read a little bit here as we, um, and, and butcher a couple of names as we go along, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, in the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, here we go. In the month of Kelsev, there was in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some men, and I questioned them about their Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And then verse 4 is my favorite, I think my favorite verse in the entire book of Nehemiah. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. Uh, for some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is one man. And he hears of a physical need of Jerusalem that needs to be met. Nehemiah, in that moment of finding out that the city of Jerusalem is just in ruins, the walls are burned down, the gates, the gates are down. And when that happens, a city can't defend itself. So these people, his people are in trouble. 
Nehemiah goes and has a revival in himself. He goes and he prays. He has time with God. He has a big view of God because that's the person he turns to in that first instance. And all throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has moments where he just, someone comes to him with something and it says, I stopped and prayed. Because that's Nehemiah. He has a big view of God and he knows in any situation, God's got his back. And then he has compassion on the people. And if you just read the book of Nehemiah, it is a book of salvation. Nehemiah is one man who has a revival in himself, gets sent with all the supplies he needs to go and rebuild the wall. Through opposition of rebuilding the wall, they had people trying to stop them. And Nehemiah goes and shares his story with the Israelites. He's like, look, God has got me this far with all these supplies. And the people were like, God's done this. All right, let's build this wall. They built the wall in like record time around an entire city. I think it was like 52 days they built a wall around the city of Jerusalem. After that, after meeting the physical needs of the people, because Nehemiah didn't come in there going, all right, guys, let's start reading our Bibles and let's get to work. If you know this, the walls will start building. No, he went in in and took a physical need of the walls needing to be built. And once the walls were built, they built a platform. The word of God was brought out and people began to worship and come to know who God was again in the city of Jerusalem because the walls were built. They felt safe. Nehemiah took care of that physical need. And then he went and shared the word of God with them. He paved a way for the word of God to be spread within the city. And that's Nehemiah. That's why I love that book. And that's what God is calling us to do. It didn't start with Nehemiah going into the city and building a wall. It started with Nehemiah having a moment with God. Him having a personal revival in his own life before the city of Jerusalem could experience revival. And that's what God is calling us to do. Um, we, these three words are three little um, things were what we studied each day at camp that we need to be intentional, that we need to be available, and that we need to be obedient to the call of God. And that's what he's calling us to do. Um, so this, this morning, I'm, we're going to go into a time of just invitation. Um, there's a couple of ways to respond during this time. The first is maybe you need to have a moment where you, you're, you're like, I've never had a big view of God. I don't even know God. But right now, I'm kind of understanding this a little more. If you need to come forward and just talk with Chad and say, I need Jesus today. I have a big view of him today that I didn't have before. Maybe you just need to come up here and do a little business with God. Maybe you need to come here to the altar and just pray. And just start a little revival in yourself. Man, I've been walking so far from God at this moment and I just need to come back to him so that I can go out and do his work. Right now, I'm not ready to go out and do God's work, but I need a moment with God so I, that I can. Maybe you need to make a declaration of some sort today. Maybe you've never been baptized and you need to come and be baptized. Maybe you are searching for a church family and you need to come today and say, I want this to be our church family. I can tell you with beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is an amazing church family. Um, since February, when me and Casey got engaged, Casey and I, sorry, Angela, you're back there. Um, 
<laughs> she always corrects me. Um, so Casey and I got engaged. We, um, we are, uh, we've just experienced an amazing just love of the, the church has just loved us. And it's just been an amazing thing for um, me to experience. And Casey has said the same thing. I mean, this church knows how to love people. And if that's the type of church you want to be a part of, that's this church. And I, I can't say that enough. But if you need to come and accept Jesus today, if you need to come and do business with God today, or if you need to come and make a declaration of some sort today, this is the time to do it. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up. And uh, we'll have a time of imita- invitation. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, um, just thank you for this morning that we can come and see the work that you are doing all over the globe through our church. That we are able to send a team to New York and Ecuador and, and just go to this, even the city of Dallas to just share your name and do work for you, God. I pray that each and every one of us just come to know you in a deeper understanding this morning, that our view of you gets bigger, that our pursuit of you gets stronger, and that our compassion for your people just grows so that we can do your work and your will today. In your name I pray, amen.